Thank you. Thank you, Willem, for that very warm welcome and to the Oxford Mindfulness Centre for inviting me and to everybody who's taken the time to call in tonight. And I'm absolutely amazed that you're calling in from all over the world and it's so lovely um, to be here. I'm actually from Oxford. I'm sitting in Oxford at the moment talking to you. Um, so it's a real pleasure to be able to, to talk about my work because compassion is my passion. And I have been, as Willem said, working with trauma for nearly 30 years. And every day I feel inspired by the courage of the people that I work with. And we co-create, they create all the knowledge that I have and all the clinical expertise that I've developed over the years is because of the journey and the courage that they've gone on in recovering from their trauma. And I always hold that in mind. Um, and tonight, when I thought about what would be a helpful session for us all to think about. Um, I know we're all coming from very different places and we've had very different experiences. But if we just focus on the notion of the fear of self-compassion, I was just going to spend probably 10 or 12 minutes talking, just contextualizing where I'm coming from in terms of my mind and my kind of um, approach. And then I really wanted to move in to, to, to guide you through maybe four exercises if we have time and these exercises will help you understand or discover or be curious about where you are in your journey of self-compassion and perhaps what your re reactions might be to it and you know some of you might know that already and others might be interested to discover and that's what I suppose what William was saying at the beginning the exercises are simple but powerful and they, react, they provoke all sorts of different reactions in us. And what they offer us is an opportunity to discover more information about ourselves. But please do take care of your hearts and your minds in these exercises. And you do what you feel you can do. And if you don't want to engage in them, but just want to listen to them, because that feels the most safe thing to do, then um, by all means do that. Because if some of you have been exposed to trauma and experienced trauma, especially at the hands of other people, um, then self-compassion can be really difficult. My day job as a, clinic, a clinician, a clinical psychologist working in a complex trauma service, I see such pain and tragedy in the people that I work with because they've been hurt and harmed by others. And what they have struggles with is shame and self-loathing and what they really struggle to to do is develop self-compassion live in a compassionate mind the work that we do therapeutically is to help them develop the capacity to live with compassion to live in a compassionate mind to see their world and their struggles through the compassionate lens that in some respects is the more straightforward part the hard part is helping them to discover that they deserve compassion and that they're allowed to let compassion into their life, that they deserve, need, will benefit from compassion because they're terrified of it. So working with the fears and the blocks of compassion is where most people are at when they're traumatized. But the thing is, all of us are on that continuum somewhere. Self-compassion, in some respects, when we understand it and we understand what it, 
what it is. You know, it, it's hard to argue against the benefits of it. And we've got lovely research that demonstrates the benefits. It's our capacity to let into our lives, into our own minds, to let other people into our minds and lives through the compassionate lens is, is, what, the, is what the real challenge is. The fear of compassion. Why does compassion trigger a threat response in our minds and our bodies rather than a caring experience? And this is what we will hopefully be exploring throughout this talk. So we all struggle to some degree with developing self-compassion and it is the antidote to shame and self-criticism. But when I was thinking about this talk tonight, it also struck me that it's very timely because certainly in the UK, we're very soon to come out of full lockdown. And this is going to present a lot of opportunities and challenges to us. And it's going to really test our compassion and our self-compassion. Last year has been so tough for many of us in so many different ways. We've suffered social isolation, loss and grief and compassionate resilience and our self-compassion have been so needed in abundance as we've all navigated our way through such testing and challenging times, sometimes alone, and sometimes with diminished access to that very social support and connectedness that we are so reliant on and perhaps haven't even been aware of how reliant we've been on it until it's been sort of taken away from us. There's been inspirational examples of common humanity, community spirits, this extended caregiving, which is so particular to the beauty of human nature. And yet we've witnessed such deep pain and suffering and heard stories of how physical and emotional health has taken a real hit toll through the lockdown isolation. And so this year has really shone a spotlight on the deep human need for social and emotional connectedness in ways perhaps that some of us haven't even been aware. And it's just, as I say, so lovely tonight that even calling in from all over the world, and I'm sure I know you've done this week after week, how amazingly connected you can feel through this, through a Zoom, um, through a Zoom meeting. And the, the lovely benefit over the last year of having these uh, trainings online has offered us such an opportunity to connect in ways that we never would have done. But it makes sense when we observe ourselves through the functional lens of our evolutionary context, that we are social mammals. We are, of course, by nature, social beings. And my colleague, who Paul Gilbert, the kind of the pioneer of compassion-focused therapy, has really um, elaborated this in his social mentality theory. We are highly social organisms. Our brains are designed for social processing of threat. This is linked to our safeness, our survival in the social group our group belonging. So we can be very sensitive to social threats because they jeopardize our group belonging. We need others to regulate social threat, to maintain connectedness. We have these evolved capacities to do so, to be affiliated with others. Our friendships depend on social safeness and capacities for compassion. Compassion has so much more to do with relationships to others and in as much as it has to do with our own selves, compassion for others and compassion for ourselves. And when we feel supported by others, when we feel safe in other people's minds, then we're much better able to extend to others our own feelings of wishes of compassion to them. So when we allow compassion from others to touch us, 
we're more able to develop our own self-compassion. And there's a really interesting observation that we make in our clinic because we run compassion groups for our clients. And it's the receipt of this compassion from the group that allows our clients to begin to believe that maybe they too are deserving of compassion. So the flows of the compassion begin to emerge, me caring for you, you caring for me, and me caring for myself, self-compassion, and all of them are important, and all of them become blocked and can become blocked and can be associated with threat responses, the fear of, um, if we have been exposed to certain um, experiences in our life. So when we think about this moment in time and the impact that uh, experiences like lockdown and COVID have had on our social safeness and our access to things that make us feel safe, we've got some lovely research by Zarif and colleagues that shows the link between social safeness and self-compassion. We are able to experience higher levels of social safeness if we are more self-compassionate. But the thing about this social safeness, it's such a powerful emotion and yet it's such a, a difficult one to describe. Those folks that feel it just know what it feels like. They know that warm, calming, effective response of feeling cared for, connected or reassured by others. And in fact, if you ask people to describe it, they'll just say, oh, you know, that kind of, you know, I just, mm, I just feel it. So to those that have it, it's such a gift and it's so they just know, but for those that don't have it, it feels like such a sort of foreign language practically to understand what it is that they don't have. Social unsafeness, all they know is that they don't feel safe and they feel highly threatened rather than what it feels like to feel safe. And it's very difficult to feel something that you've never felt. So when we're working with the fear of self-compassion, it's not a cognitive process, it's a physiological driven body experience. We have to change the physiology felt sense in our minds and bodies to access self-compassion. So the development of it is very much linked to parental warmth and our attachment relationships. We are kind of taught, if you want, self-compassion. So that's the good news that seemingly you can learn it. But the other side of that is that so many of us just haven't been exposed to it through no fault of our own in our childhoods, our childhood narratives, our childhood family curricula just doesn't have self-compassion um, you know, on, on the agenda for, for varying reasons of, um, really quite serious reasons of neglect and abuse to more subtle reasons of um, just focusing on different um, developmental processes in our, in, our, in our children. So we all know that self-compassion is linked to the sense of being really human, the common humanity in us all, our basic needs, the basic way of getting our needs met, this sense of needing to feel connected. And it's linked to how we get our needs met. So there's an action and an engagement, our capacity to engage with what we need and our ability to act to get our needs met. We are kinder, more calmer and more empathic human beings when we develop capacities for self-compassion. We are more emotionally resilient. We afford better mental health when we can live in compassionate minds. And Kristen Ness's um, wonderful research bears that out in, in amplitude. So 
it's really, if I may use the word, a no-brainer to understand the benefits of self-compassion. But it's not so obvious to understand why people are so terrified of it. And sometimes we're not even aware ourselves about how terrified we are of self-compassion because we link it to feelings of vulnerability and it's linked to our caregiving experiences. It goes right back to how we were cared for as children, who looked after our emotional world, what messages we were given as children and what messages were we given in terms of how to regulate social threats as we regulate our way through our social world, as we regulate how we become a social, compassionate human being, because our capacity to do this is linked to our survival in the social group. So this notion of self-compassion, as we know, it is just not a basic self-care in a superficial way at all. It is a deep courage to engage with stuff that hurts, engage in our pain, but be motivated to do something about it. So the mind that can notice, attend, take a step back, be curious, be aware, to see ourselves, see our minds, see ourselves, rather than just be reactive to ourselves, react beyond our minds, can really help us understand the fears and the blocks that we have about letting compassion into our, our minds and our worlds. And remember that there are three flows of compassion. So we might be very good at being compassionate to others. And we'll discover that in one of the exercises. We might really struggle to let people in. Even if we think we do let people in, we might struggle to let people in to truly reveal our vulnerability, the fear that they may not meet our needs in the most helpful way. And there's something deeply distressing about this sense of being alone in our pain. So when no one comes and no one rescues and no one makes us feel safe and no one nurtures our emotional need felt through our vulnerability, we feel so alone. So we know that we can be alone in our minds but surrounded by people because nobody makes us feel that sense of connectedness. And that may well be linked to childhood experiences of feeling threatened rather than soothed in the attachment relationship. So this felt sense of safeness, this capacity for self-compassion to regulate social threat is something that is learned. We can develop it and we learn it through emotional nurturance. So very, very soon, you see, very soon, certainly in the UK, in the next few months, we're going to be able to reconnect with people. We're going to be able to hug others. We're going to be able to emotionally reestablish, socialize in groups. And this is going to feel wonderful for some of us, especially those of us that know what it is to feel socially safe. We're desperate to reconnect with families and friends. But you see, there's a whole lot of us that aren't feeling that way. We're not looking forward to it. And actually it's making us feel really anxious and we're dreading it. The idea of coming out of this safe cocoon, the removal of the threat of others is terrifying. So rather than making us feel safe, others make us feel socially unsafe. And rather than being able to access our self-compassion, 
we live in self-critical, socially comparative minds, judging ourselves as less than. We lie in a mind beneath self-criticism, which is terrified that we're not good enough, that we're going to be dismissed, that we don't matter, that we are socially undesirable. And we live in these societies, unfortunately, that create constant judgment and evaluation and rate and rank us. So for some of us, being in a lockdown situation has been a relief, a relief. So some of the people I work with, my veteran population, have just thrived in lockdown because they feel better when they're alone because human beings terrify them. So what's really helpful, I suppose, for us to begin to explore is what makes us so fearful of self-compassion, being kind to ourselves. Why would we rather be cruel to ourselves than kind? What stops us from treating ourselves with the same regard and kindness and helpfulness and wisdom that we treat others and we afford others? What stopped us letting this into our own minds and our own bodies? What makes us think that we don't deserve compassion? Compassion is a basic human need. The capacity for compassion, the capacity for caregiving is a basic human need. It's an essential human need because it's not enough just to clothe and feed and educate our children and to, um, and to sort of help them through life. We need to emotionally nurture their worlds if we are going to develop compassionate resilience and a capacity to deal with the fact that actually life's quite hard and painful. So we might well find the answers to this fear of compassion in our childhoods. And again, we all come from very different um, stories. We've had very different formative experiences. And for some of us, it might be quite clear why we're frightened of letting people in and why we treat ourselves so cruelly in our minds. For some of us, it might be very clearly linked to experiences of abuse or neglect. And for others, it might not be so obvious. We might not realize we haven't been emotionally nurtured or validated or been brought up in a, in a, in a, in a sense of war warmness. We might not even have thought about it. And sometimes the lack of, because it's more intangible, could actually be more shaming. You can be even more critical on yourself because you've got no good reason not to like yourself. You've got every good, you've been given everything in life and yet you still don't like yourself and live in this critical mind. So this comes with an added kick sometimes when you can't, when you can't obviously understand why your fear of self-compassion has, has been manifest. So the continuum ranges really from the very obvious to the nuanced, but the absence of self-compassion is so problematic for us all as the void is filled with self-criticism and in some cases, profound self-loathing. And this creates such a sense of threat in our minds. And it's associated with the sense of threat, the social threat of others. So there are many of us out there who are really not looking forward to coming out of lockdown because we're terrified of other people and we're terrified of our own minds. Other people make us feel unsafe, not safe. So having just explored very briefly some of these thoughts and um, kind of concepts with you. And I know that will already be triggering from you. You already be thinking about, you know, where you sit on the continuum. And what I thought would be helpful to do now 
is to invite you to join me on three, maybe four exercises that will literally will help us discover a little bit about these three flows of compassion and where we are in our own lives with those experiences. And I really want you to, to bring a kindness to, to these exercises, a kindness and a curiosity. It is what it is and you're at where you're at. If it's something that you would like to change or um, move towards, then of course you can commit to practices that help you to develop more self-compassion. But a curiosity to discover what's going on in those three flows in your life is really what we're interested in, in, in fostering tonight. So if you'd like to join me, then please do. But it comes with a little bit of an emotional health warning. Not the first one, everybody loves the first exercise, so that's good to know. But the next couple come on with a little bit of a, an emotional health warning because they are targeting a little bit more about your own self-compassion and allowing other people into your lives. And if you have had difficult times with people and they have been treated, you have been treated badly by other humans, then you might struggle with this. So you really do need your kindness and your compassion and your gentleness to engage in these exercises and regulate yourself. Okay, so with that said, um, what I'd like to do is just um, take you through these exercises in the way we do in our group, in our, in our clinic, and when I'm doing my training. And we always start our practices with what we call the compassionate stance, which is an empowered body stance. Lots of the people that I work with hold the trauma in their body. The body keeps the score. You know that book, I'm sure. Some of you have a vessel bandel coat. Every cellular part of our body becomes traumatized. And so when we are developing capacities for self-compassion, it's a whole experience. So we talk about the compassionate stance, which is finding a place to feel grounded in your seating. So I'm sitting in my chair and Willem um, orientated our minds and our bodies to this in the beginning. So we sit with purpose, committing ourselves to the exercise, noticing our body being grounded in our chair. And this is another really helpful thing to do before we do the breathing, is to create as much space as we can in our chest. Again, when we our bodies are holding trauma, we tend to sort of lean, this sort of hiding our heart actually, hiding our heart and protecting our vital organs and actually scrunching up our lung capacities. And our breath is so linked to our well-being. For those of you out there who do lots of breath practice and understand the link to heart rate variability. So give your body space to breathe by opening up your chest, opening up your heart, sitting in your body with grounded awareness. And just gently bringing your attention into your chest where you feel your breath. So just notice yourself centering your attention to your breath. And if you're able to breathe in a smooth rhythmical pattern, then just allow your body to lean into that pattern, 
smooth, rhythmical breath. Just leaning into the breath. Just allowing the ebb and flow. Perhaps noticing the sensation, particularly of the out-breath. Leaving and grounding and calming. The out-breath being linked to our parasympathetic nervous system activity, settling and calming our mind. So just while we're in this space, settling our minds and our bodies, I'm just going to guide you through an imagery exercise. Just go with the flow. Just notice what happens. And I ask you to think about a time, a memory in your life of you Caring for someone. Caring for someone that you deeply care about. Who's hurting and in need of comfort. This might be a family member, friend, a child. But I want you to bring to mind that memory of you as a caregiver. And just notice that feeling in you, feeling of wanting to care, wanting to engage. See your face, what facial expression do you have? When you're caring, a softened, concerned face, gentle eyes, a soft voice tone. But notice the feeling, the motivation to care for someone in need. Just notice what that feels like. as you want to help them, help them move away from the suffering, to be with them. Just notice that. And just notice what emerges in your mind and your body as you see yourself caring for another. And then just very gently, see if you can shift your attention just back into your breath, just to 
come to the breath center. Focus on a few rhythms of your breath. And then just gently orientate yourself back to the Zoom. And if you want, if you'd like, if you just want to chat in the chat, place, type in the chat, I should say, um, what that felt like, the imagery of caring, you caring for another. What did you notice? What was that like for you? Emotional, fully present, warm, happy, sad, moving, vulnerable, a little out of my comfort zone, connected, disturbing. Helpless, yes. Bad. Resentment, tenderness. So we've got the whole, whole range, a whole spectrum of responses to caring. Thank you. So a whole spectrum of responses for caring when we are in that caregiving mode. And for some of you, that will have produced a threat response. And we can see that in the, in, in the chat. So thanks for sharing that. And for some of you, that will produce a sadness response because your caring may have come with grief and loss. And for others, it would have produced a very different type of response. And all of them tell you something about you and where you're at in that caregiving role, that part of your human nature, which is caregiving. And this is an interesting point. Quite a few of you have, have, um, have, have put this sense of being helpless because you can't take the pain away. And that's a really interesting point because there is a real, it's really important that when we are being compassionate, that we have this capacity to stay with suffering without feeling helpless. And it's really difficult because when we tip into the helplessness of it, then we lose our capacity for compassion. So what I want to do now is invite you to do the second exercise, but we're going to change the flow. We're going to change the flow. And again, please just you make your own decision if you can about whether or not you want to engage in these exercises, because you can see just within five minutes, they're very evocative and they evoke lots of different feelings in us all. So the next exercise we're going to ask I'm going to ask you to imagine someone caring for you. Okay, so we'll do a little bit of breath practice at the beginning, and then I'll talk you through the imagery of someone caring for you, and we'll see what comes up then. Okay. So if you'd like to join in, then let's just orientate our minds again and our bodies into our compassionate stance. 
and bring our attention into our breath. Just settle our threat, especially if that's been triggered in the last exercise. Let's use our breath to settle our physiology by engaging in the soothing rhythm breathing. And then I'd like to invite you to imagine a different scenario. Imagine a time in your life when someone is caring for you. And if that isn't something that springs to mind, then imagine another scenario where you might have wanted care, or somebody wanted to care for you. So in this scenario, imagine all that care that you gave another being turned towards you. Somebody else in your life is offering you that same deep motivation to care for you, to connect with you. They notice that you're struggling. They see. They see you, they want to help, they want to hold you in mind, to help you, to comfort you, to soothe you. So just notice what that is evoking in you, in the imagery when you are having the compassion flow turned towards you, someone deeply wanting to care for you when you're suffering. And just be curious about what's happening in your mind and in your body as you experience that. Somebody wanting to help you and to comfort you. Flow of compassion coming to you, you allowing somebody in. Just notice what that feels like. And then just, as we did before, just very gently, just check in with your breath. So bring your attention to your breath, because some of you may have noticed a threat response has been triggered. And you might feel a little bit 
agitated. That's quite a common response. But just settle. See if you can settle your physiology with your breath practice. And then if you wouldn't mind, if you'd like to, just post in the chat what you noticed. When you imagined being cared for by another. Loved. Relaxed. And safe. Tearful. Suspicious, panicked, uncomfortable. So again, a whole range of emotions have emerged in us. Some of us have found that a really profoundly connecting experience and others, it's triggered our threat system. Because when we move into caregiving relationships, Pandora's box of emotional memories of how we we're cared for gets triggered. And if we haven't experienced social safeness, then that care isn't comforting to us. It isn't comforting to us. It makes us feel suspicious. It frightens us. We don't trust it. And it can make us very emotional and tearful. And it can make us feel ashamed that we have a need to be cared for. And all of those subtles subtleties and nuances have been conditioned into us through our experiences of caregiving. And again, the exercise is really a little insight. There's only a few minutes into where you might be on that journey of self-compassion. So there's the next exercise third flow of compassion, which is, of course, self-compassion. And this is the one that people usually find very difficult. So the first flow of you caring for others, most people actually really like that. And actually, lots of people are full of compassion for others. They do that one really well. It's, you know, it's part of our human nature. And, you know, some of my, 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 my lovely clients I work with you know, they will say things like, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm compassionate to a fault with other people. And sometimes that is a little bit more of an appeasement strategy. They're keeping themselves safe by being compassionate, but they're actually not keeping their boundaries. So they're letting people take, take, take the fear of being rejected. But that's a slightly different process. But most of us love that feeling of caring for others. Love it. And then we don't start to get a little bit wobbly and a little bit agitated and uncomfortableness with the thought that we might be the focus of that caregiving because that's not what we're used to or the stuff there emotional memories that are getting triggered and all sorts of things like that and some of us don't like that and then the third um flow self-compassion let's see what that triggers in us again a whole range of um, um, emotional responses, no doubt, that will no doubt all emerge. And again, it's just an opportunity for you to be curious about where you are on the journey of self-compassion. So 
if we go back into our bodies, if you want to, to do this exercise, then let's just again start with our compassionate stance and make sure our chest is open and back, giving our lungs as much capacity, open heartedness, grounded. Bringing our attention, leaning into our breath. Stilling our minds and our bodies as we prepare for the last exercise. And if it feels comfortable, let's go with the flow of this imagery. I want you now in your mind to remember that version of you caring for another, wanting to care, wanting to connect, wanting to be helpful. And how would it felt like to be in that caring mode for another. And see your facial expression as open and safe and kind. And your voice tone as gentle and safe. And your body posture as non-threatening. And then I want you to turn in your mind to face yourself, you caring for you. Just notice what happens when you hold you in mind and deeply care for you. Now, this might have been a long time. So sometimes in our exercises, we become a little bit playful and we say, hello you, long time no see. What would it be like to say hello to yourself as if you were greeting a long lost friend? Hello, long time, I'm here for you. To soften your face, to smile at yourself. Offer yourself that deep care and kindness that you give to others. Just notice what's happening in your mind and your body as you hold you in mind and you care for you. What's going on? And then just
very gently bring your attention back again into your breath. Just settle your breath. Lots of things might be going on for you. Your mind might have got quite busy. Your body might have got quite busy. Just settle your breath with your practice. And bring your attention back to the Zoom. And again, if you would like to put in the chat what that was like, share what that experience was like, your self-compassion. Difficult. Odd, safe, warm, tearful, hard, mm, much more challenging, heartache. Huge amounts of feedback, that's lovely, tight. So childish, friendly. So a whole range of emotions again, numb. And they have a story, that reaction to your self-compassion and the fear that it might have emerged in some of you has a story. And equally, the reaction of love and connectedness and calmness has a story. And it is what it is in terms of where you're at in your journey. But very quickly, with very brief exercises, we can begin to discover our threats to self-compassion. And that's when we can begin to do the work, the journey, the work of developing our capacity to work through those fears because we're not alone. This is all about common humanity. Most of us have a journey of self-compassion to go on and it's a lifelong journey, a lifelong journey. But being mindful of it and mindful about where we're at on that process and being mindful of the threats that emerge as we emerge out of lockdown, as we go through our daily business is greatly enhanced by our mindfulness practice becoming aware, but then committing to doing something about it because everybody benefits from a compassionate version of you. You benefit and everybody then benefits from that version of you too. So I'm mindful of the time and thinking that we ought to draw the exercises and the talk to a close and hoping and hopeful that those brief exercises doesn't take much actually to to get some insight about what's going on for us will just help you become a little bit more aware of what might be going on in your life and your mind when you're thinking about developing self-compassion the capacity for self-compassion so um thank you for for listening and engaging and being so generous with your your feedback to the exercise because it literally does to demonstrate the, the whole continuum of our emotional responses to these experiences and where we're at is where we're at if it's not where you want to be and you want to move on then that equally is within your your choice and your gift because 
the developed development of self-compassion is a learned skill. It just takes practice and you just need to know what to do in order to work with some of those fears and those blocks. That's the hard bit.